Hello there. We are live streaming. Welcome to the Football Outsiders live stream for Thursday, December 16th. I'm Aaron Schatz, the editor-in-chief of Football Outsiders, uh, joined today by Mike Tanier, this direction here, Brian Knowles from Scramble for the Ball, and our special guest, Seth Kaiser from The Athletic Kansas City, also known on Twitter as Real Chiefs. Fan Minnesota, I believe, right? That's your tag. I think it's real MN Chiefs fan. I, you, as you can see, I'm not even professional enough to put it in my name, so we're good. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to hear talk about Thursday night. Awesome, the awesome game tonight before the uh, between the Chiefs and the Chargers. Thank you all for joining us. Of course, we're here every weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern, live streaming on. YouTube and Twitch, Facebook, Twitter, and in the corner of footballoutsiders.com. You can listen afterwards on the Football Outsiders podcast network. Before we get to talking about tonight's awesome big game, I should just get everybody's take on the big news. I woke up this morning to discover that apparently I don't stay up as late as I used to. <laughs> and therefore, I went to sleep before Urban Meyer was fired at 12.50 in the morning Eastern time. Right. On the show yesterday, I guess I said they needed to fire him as soon as possible and flush out the coaching staff and start over as soon as possible. And they did. That was about as soon as possible. Nice work. I didn't know we were supposed to be keeping an urban vigil, <laughs> though, on Wednesday. I, I, I kept one like all Monday morning. I was like continually checking, looking for it. It's like, oh, well, I think he's safe for another week. And then the Josh Lambeau um, kicking the kicker incident, while it's certainly a big deal, it didn't seem like that was going to be the straw that broke the camel's back. No, especially because the Jaguars apparently have known about it for months. Right. Right. So it's not, it's not a scandal until it becomes public. It's not necessarily the best way to run your business. Yeah. I do wonder if they were just, you know, quietly waiting, like they'd already made the decision to get rid of him at the end of the year. And then just when the one, one piece of news became public, they figured, all right, we just got to get get this done now because there was no way he was lasting a second year. This was this was a, a terrible hiring from the min, minute it was announced. Every month, every other week, there was a massive like you know whether it was hiring the racist strength coach or two uh, two physical practices or saying that people were going to get cut because of COVID and violating the agreement with the NFLPA, right. the Tebow stuff, the staying in the staying in uh, uh, say not catching the team flight after the loss stuff is over and over and over. It's like one of those things would be enough for, just to get fans grumbling. Just, but every other week, and that they I'll couldn't do it out, either. So I'll, I'll point out also this new rule that they had already, I thought, announced, and then they actually officially voted for it yesterday. This is a new rule that you can talk to assistant coaches on other teams about your head coaching position in the last two weeks of the regular season, but only if you fired your coach already. <laughs> That's great. Sort of suggests that Black Monday will come sooner because if you yes. want to get a head start by talking to Todd Bowles or Eric Bieniemy or Byron Leftwich or whoever your favorite candidates are, you need to fire your coach by the end of week 16. I wonder if they're going to call that the Urban Meyer rule at some point yes. now. Yes. <laughs> yes, his lasting legacy. Yes. Finally, he has an NFL legacy and now just – yeah, stop. Um, I, I think Brian's right. I, I think it's probably something that they had in the works. And then this rule came out and this everything became public and they just said, okay, we, we've had enough here. This this has become worse than the distraction of firing him, which I argue would have been would have been true weeks ago anyways. But I mean they they had to fire him. I, I can't remember a, a bigger disaster. Um and you gotta remember I I covered the Chiefs during the Josh McDaniels era in Denver. And but I, oh, I can't yeah. remember That's nothing close to this. No, I mean, no, that, that at least there was some attempts. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's about as bad as it gets. Uh Bobby Petrino is the closest I can think of, but the Bobby yes. Petrino era did not have all of the off field scandals like this nope. did. Not even close. He just sort of got frustrated and left. <laughs> You know, and 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 the scandals they did have didn't involve him. So that I mean, that was the Vic stuff. And I mean, it was not his his issue. Uh, Todd Singer says, you know, what kind of incentive is that? And I kind of agree. It's it's weird to incentivize getting rid of like your normal bad coach and not letting them finish the season out. 
They're uh, trying to make it so that assistant coaches from like the Super Bowl teams yes. have as good a chance of getting jobs as other coaches do. Right, right. I'm not sure how that's going to work. I think a lot of those assistant coaches still have stuff to play for in the final two weeks. Mm-hmm. I might just be mad because it messes up the NFL content cycle for me. And that might just be like, oh, this makes my job harder because I can't just say, oh, the end of the season and then the, the, the vigil day. But but still, it seems a little like there's going to be unintended consequences of this. Yeah, we'll have to see over the next couple of years what happens. All right, we're not going to preview the Houston Texans-Jacksonville Jaguars game, although it is happening and is an exciting, you know, can the Jaguars – someone pointed out on Twitter – that the Jaguars play Houston and the Jets in the next two weeks. So Daryl Bevel might have as many wins in the next two weeks <laughs> as Steven Meyer did Please. in his entire time with the, uh, with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. But what we want to do, because it's an awesome game and it's a hugely important game, and because we had Seth come on, is start by talking a lot about tonight's game between the Chiefs and the Chargers. So just the intro, this is the most important game of the week for Super Bowl odds, but more importantly, for winning the AFC West. So the Chiefs make the playoffs in 99% of our Sims if they win, 91% if they lose. The Chargers in 96% of our Sims if they win, 76% if they lose. But what's more important is if the Chiefs win this game, they go to a 94% chance of winning the division with the Chiefs at 6%, with the Chargers at 6%. Hmm. If the Chargers win this game, they go to a 63% chance of winning the division and the Chiefs are only at 30%. So it's a huge, huge game for the Super Bowl, for the number one seed, and for winning the AFC West. And no one wants to go on the road in the postseason, so that's a big deal here. You're talking about pretty much home versus road game mm-hmm. in the postseason. Even, even with home field advantage being kind of non-existent for the last three years, I agree right. with you. Teams still want to be at home for the postseason. Right, and you're going to get that, more likely to get that bottom of the wrong wildcard team in the AFC, which could be somebody really, really, really weak, coming in on their last legs or just not a very strong team anyway. Mm-hmm. It's It does matter for the Chiefs as well. You know, being Arrowhead advantage has been a little bit different for them over the last few years during the regular season. I think in the postseason, it's been a more pronounced advantage, especially depending on who they play, because Kansas City in January – isn't particularly kind to teams that are used to playing in domes or used to playing in warmer weather. So that matters to them a great deal. I still can't get over the fact that, you know, the AFC West being up for grabs is something I figured would happen. But the fact that the Chiefs are even remotely in play for the one seed after how everything started out this year, the AFC just, they had their shot to just distance themselves and then everyone kept losing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, they had their shot to distance themselves, not just from the Chiefs, but from Belichick. Yeah. Yes. I mean, uh, who are the top two teams in the AFC? The Chiefs and Belichick. It's a time is a flat circle thing. Because <laughs> when people keep asking me, you know, well, what team do you fear the most in the playoffs? And I find myself saying, God, the dang Patriots. Because I understand the Titans just bushwhack the Chiefs in the worst game I've ever seen Mahomes play. But if there's one team I fear in a one-off, it is the Patriots because if there's one team I think can put together a really good plan against Mahomes and then run the ball 65 times, it's the Patriots. Jay Molnar94, by the way, makes a very good point in the chat. Mm. These also seem like the two healthiest teams Mm. in the AFC. We have not done our adjusted games lost numbers yet, but there's no question if you look at which teams have been healthy this year, the Patriots and Chiefs are at the top of that list. Especially lately, and that's made a huge difference, and not just in terms for the from the Chiefs side of things. The health stuff isn't just in terms of guys who were missing and not missing games, but guys who were playing a little bit dinged up that are now healthier than they were. The easiest example of that being Frank Clark, who's playing his best football as a Chief in a, something that's really stunned a lot of Chiefs fans. They kind of accepted, okay, he's not who he was in Seattle or even in 2019. And suddenly the last four to six weeks, he's been that guy again. And that's made a huge difference for them 
again, not just in terms of who's missing games, but guys playing fully healthy. It's a big deal. So I guess that gets us to that answers the question of which I wanted to ask you about first, which is the offense or the defense. So the defense, we've put the stats on this show numerous times. The Chiefs <laughs> are like third in defensive DVOA since week six. What changed other than Chris Jones moving back inside? Sure. So the the short answer is a lot of things, which I, I mean, I know you guys, you guys do such a great job looking at how this all works on the defensive side of the ball. It really is a sum of the parts. You're not going to just, you know, throw in one player and change things. So we'll leave out the Jones factor. Um, the arrival of Melvin Ingram has yeah, been a huge deal. It's it's hysterical to me how much that swung things. And that's in large part to talk just briefly on him. He's been very, very good, but he's also pass rush is complimentary um, mm-hmm. in terms of the effect that you have. And if you have, I would argue having, you know, three good pass rushers and Jones is an elite one, but having three good ones is better than two elite ones. I mean, because it's so complimentary in terms of how often you can generate pressure, unless one of those guys is Aaron Donald, then that's always the answer. But <laughs> so that that's been one, one aspect to it. And that's allowed them to have three guys. I mentioned Clark. It really has been a three-player punch there with three guys, one elite guy, and two guys that are playing very well. So they're getting pressure with four. That's allowed Spagnolo to stop blitzing at such a high rate. And commensurate with that, as is often the case, his blitzers are more successful and are being exploited less because you don't have to live and die by it. That's the, the first end. And you're actually seeing it on all three levels, which isn't surprising for such a huge turnaround. At the second level, Willie Gay Jr. getting healthy, although he's not going to be in this game which matters. He's the only linebacker they have who has shown any ability to go sideline to sideline to take away running backs in the receiving game and to shut down the type of routes that killed them earlier in the year. Quick sideline throws. If you go back and watch the tape against Philadelphia, I think Hertz had like 80% of his yards by taking the snap, throwing it to the sideline immediately and they gave 15 yards. (laughs) And so that's not the intermediate level, the Willie Gay Jr. and then Nick Bolton coming along, Anthony Hitchens getting fully healthy. That That's helped there. And then on the back end, having uh, Tyron Matthews shifted to his more usual role, playing at the intermediate level of the field, with Juan Thornhill being given the lion's share of the snaps as the deep safety, that relegated Dan Sorensen to a lesser role and one that he's more comfortable in and allowed Matthew to go into a better role. So you actually didn't just upgrade your free safety spot, you upgraded your, your shallow safety spot. And in some ways, your kind of hybrid linebacker spot, which is basically the only place Dan Sorensen belongs on the field at this point. Right. That was a lot. But it's, a lot has to happen. A lot has to happen to make this kind of turnaround. As much as they have improved, which is right. just a lot. Yeah, by the way, that's every Eagles game, is that most of the yards comes with <laughs> from Jalen Hurts up the sidelines and they go. Yeah, it's just <laughs> I, I got so mad during that game. And I, I really I asked myself. I wonder how many times they could run a bootleg to the right side with the tight end going across the formation into the flat. I bet they'd gain 15 yards of play if they did it six straight times. And I mean, they couldn't cover it. They couldn't cover it. And that's where Willie Gay Jr. came in handy and why I'm afraid even hobbled Austin Eckler might have approximately a thousand yards tonight. (laughs) Eckler's definitely better though than I will say if he's not right, um, and he can't play. I'm not a big fan of the Los Angeles backup running backs. They certainly don't bring in the receiving game. Kelly and Jackson, they don't bring what Eckler does. They they really need Eckler to be healthy tonight. But I wonder how much you can even look at the first game and look at what the Chargers did on offense and compare it to this game because the Chiefs defense has changed so much in that they've gotten so much better, but now all of a sudden there's no Chris Jones tonight. And no Willie Gay Jr. and no Legarius Sneed. And oh, so I didn't once again, he's out. What's up with Sneed? Uh, Sneed Sneed had uh, had had a, his brother. His older brother was killed, and so oh, he he's missed the last terrible. couple of games dealing with personal stuff. The the teams really rallied around him, and and obviously all of Kansas City is thinking about him. Um, been a wonderful player for the Chiefs, and and has been a great guy to deal with for the media too. Um, so that that's obviously he's taking as much time as he needs. Um, but he's missing night for personal reasons. So the on the football side of things, what you end up have happening there is similarly to how at all three levels they've improved. Well, now you've got at all three levels, they take a huge blow. You can't replace Chris Jones. I think I can prove on film and via the numbers that outside of Aaron Donald, he's the best interior pass rusher in the NFL. And it's not even close. 
Like in terms of just pure pass rush, he he's closer to Donald than he is to anyone else. Hmm. And that there's a lot of great interior rushers in the league. Hmm. Um, so you can't replace him. They do have a few guys that are on the interior that have been okay. Um, the big thing is going to be Ingram and Clark need to get pressure. And then they got to hope that they can get some kind of performance from their linebackers to hide them a little bit, maybe rely a little more on, on zones, maybe having Sorensen play even more of that hybrid role, anything to keep him off the back end of coverage. He's lost a step that he couldn't afford to lose. And you put him in coverage on a tight end, even it, it, it gets very ugly very quickly. So the one thing that's worth noting though, is that while the chiefs are obviously missing really important players, they were also very, very hobbled the first time they played. So at the time when they played the first time, they 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 were missing Frank Clark. They were missing Willie Gay Jr. that game as well. And they had a couple guys playing hobbled and hurt um, in Fenton. And Jones, actually, the wrist was giving them problems at that point. So they, it, you kind of hope that it evens out there somewhat. Their cornerback depth has played very well. They still have a good trio of safeties, provided Sorensen has shifted away from being actually a safety. So I think it's going to really come down to whether or not they can generate pressure with four without Jones there, which over the last two years they've never been able to do. Yeah. Although it helps, we should point out, it's not a one-for-one, one, take this guy out, take this guy out, and they cancel. Right. But Rashawn Slater, the left, yep. left tackle, is also on the COVID list for the Chargers. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, improves the possibility of the defensive ends bringing the pressure Right. Even if they don't have Jones in the middle. And yes, they're without Derwin James, too. Bill Houston points out uh, James oh. really hurts against Kelsey. That wow. What a great comment by 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 Bill Houston there. I didn't even know that, which it's my job to know, but I'm doing other things today. Uh, it's it's I, impossible to keep track of all the covid right now. I mean, it's not impossible, but like you will just lo- guys will fall off the back of your brain. Well, James, yeah, on, James is questionable. Okay. Okay. So he may play and he may not play. Yeah, the he's, he's he's not practicing. It's a hamstring injury. Oh, and that's and that's tough because sometimes um, you know, that's one of the things Clark was struggling with, Frank Clark, earlier in the season. And he actually had a really great press conference where he talked about how he thought he didn't want to hurt the team, he didn't want to miss time, but he found that by playing while hurt, he was hurting the team because he yeah. just couldn't perform. Mm-hmm. And hamstring, he, hamstring is a playing while hurt less than a hundred percent type of injury. Yeah. And it's and it's going to be tough. They've really relied on him in previous matchups, um, including you know in previous years, to be a guy who can actually cover Travis Kelsey one on one. And he remains. I you know Stephon Gilmore's had some success. Chris Harris Jr. at his peak had some success, but he remains the only guy I've seen directly win a one on one matchup throughout the course of a game against Kelsey and just cover him the whole game and win that matchup. And so it alters everything else you do on defense because you can't get away with as much. I mean, James is just such a great, great player, um, one of the best in the league. So that that's a big deal. And then obviously Slater being out, you were hoping the pressure would come from the edges anyway. And you, you never know how much the, the the personal stuff really weighs into it. But Melvin Ingram might. I mean, he's seen he's seen their backup tackle before. I think Pipkins has been on the team for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. There's a chance you get a little bit of a revenge game here saying you guys should have never let me go. Boy, would I love to see that. Um, but it's it's a nerve-wracking thing. They they can't afford – one thing that happened a lot last game, and you're going to get this against Justin Herbert because the way he can extend plays and make any throw, they had some breakdowns and coverages that where they allowed easy yards. That's what they have to avoid – those those mix-ups in coverage, those those blown coverages where you get a guy just wide open. They had a few too many of those, and that was every game early in the season. They can avoid that. I think they'll do okay. It's going to be tough to really hold down that offense, though. Uh, one more defensive question for you. Bill Houston asked, what did the Chiefs do with Clark in the offseason? This may be his best season. It's still a little underwhelming. Do you think the Chiefs can restructure him in the offseason? <laughs> I think the only way that they keep him in Kansas City is with some sort of restructure. You can't pay him like $27 million or whatever it is next year. You can rarely pay a defensive player that amount of money regardless. Um, and, and he just, he, he's been, he's been good lately, but I assume there's going to be some kind of conversation. They have a really good cap guy. They'll probably give him the opportunity because I think they can save something if they don't do it as a post June 1st. I think they can save something like 14 million, give or take. Mm. 
And that's if they don't designate them. So they're going to look at that amount of money to be saved because they've got needs elsewhere. You know, Matthew needs to be extended. Orlando Brown needs to be extended. Tyreek Hill's in the last year of his deal. They've got guys they need to extend. So I'm sure it'll be kind of a conversation. You can take it or, or not take it. But they do like him. Um, they always have, even through the kind of lackluster play last year. The, the team's opinion of him, from everything I've been told, has been generally higher than what you see from the fan base. So let's talk about the offense. The yeah. defense has sort of had the two sections of the season. The offense has kind of had three sections of the season. <laughs> yeah. They had the first five games where they were the Chiefs we know and love. Mm -hmm. Then they went through the period where it wasn't just turnovers. Like, they weren't getting yards either. Yep. Right. And then the last five weeks, they've been better, not to the level that you expect from the Chiefs, but definitely better. I think they're fifth in offense DVOA since week 10. Mm -hmm. So back to being one of the best offenses in the league. Did they get something fixed? Is it, do you think it was just randomness that they happen to have a couple of bad games in the middle of the year? Cause obviously the turnover thing has been weird, but it was more than the turnover. Gosh, the turnover thing. And that's something to look at with the chargers because last game they turned the ball over four times to, to none. And they still barely lost. So that's why you've got a lot of confidence from Chiefs fans because even though I don't really believe in that kind of thing impacting the next game, everything's so situational in football. Right. But the turnover luck has been hilarious in a lot of ways. <laughs> like, and, and like hilarious in that way that makes you just freak out a little bit. Um, when they it's were hilarious Denver. because in the last game, the, the Raiders had yeah, all yeah. the turnovers that the Chiefs have had all season. They had the, the bouncing off the hands turnover, yeah, right. like all the same stuff. Right. And it was just it was so hard to watch because, as you intimated, early in the season, the first four or five games, they were moving the ball at a historic rate. They just could not stop turning the ball over in the red zone or within scoring position or mm -hmm. turning it over in a way that handed it to the other guy. And it was it was infuriating. And I'm not sure why that shifted from what it did. But what so, you know, they, they started to get right against Washington. And really that kind of middle of the season slump started with just getting it handed to them against the Titans, which was just what the ugliest game I've seen in the Reed era. What I would say with that Titans game. And one of the primary things that I do is every week I chart at home snap for a variety of things that don't show up in the stat sheet. It was the worst game I've ever seen him play as a pro. Bailed out of clean pockets at a rate that was about three or four times more than he normally does. Hmm. Missed open guys. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was a terrible performance, and I think he would say that if he if he were to you know be honest with someone about it, which he generally has been. I think after the game, he made a comment that he didn't play well against the Giants. He didn't play as poorly, but still played very poorly for him. And then. Then you move so that you've got that two game stretch. I would say that that was like the Mahomes stretch of the season where he just hit a slump. Like Andy Reid said, he went longer than anyone in history without going through a slump. And then he went through one. And then starting with the Packers game, they haven't been turning the ball over at like a comical rate. But if you go back and look at the way their drives failed against the Packers, you still had all these self inflicted wounds, you know, um, you know, a, a hold penalty at the worst possible time or a drop on third down. They lost three different drives to drops on third down or failing failure by a running back. Clyde Edwards Alaire wasn't healthy yet to be able to break a single tackle in open field on third and short, things like that, that are preventable. Um, and part of it, uh, uh, the linebackers in, in green Bay played one of the best games I've ever seen from anyone. I was there live Campbell's unbelievable, but you, so that's when that started, these self-inflicted errors, they got it right against the Raiders and Gus Bradley, who they just, man, they were mean to those guys. It was funny. But, <laughs> and then, and then you saw that continue to go against the Cowboys, against the Broncos, self-inflicted errors have continued to be a bit of a problem for them. Even as Mahomes' play has risen back up to mostly what I would expect in terms of whether or not he's staying in clean pockets, making accurate throws, creating plays. But you, you drops at key moments have been tough. Uh, and just some of these other self-inflicted wounds have been a problem. And last time we thought they got right against the Raiders, then they proceeded to have two games in a row where they kept doing that same stuff. And if you go back and look at the, each snap of the Cowboys and Broncos games, you'll be able to see those moments where, well, that, that would have been probably conservatively three points here, three points there. You, you can probably find 10 points in both games. 
We'll see if they got right this time against the Raiders. That's the main thing, though. They just – the cover two thing I don't really buy because you see guys open. It's not like they've never played cover two. It's like Andy Reid's out here going, they're playing cover what? Cover right. two? Right. Is it the, the most – like Mahomes thing. didn't see that in his first couple years. Right. Yeah, it, it's just, you know, it's like you mean what most high schools play? Like, right. I mean, my God, are there route combinations that beat cover two? I mean, come on. It's just this self-inflicted stuff. Now, that is a problem, and at this point in the season, that's kind of who you are, and it's up to them to show that that's going to change. Um, I wish I knew whether it would. It's been such a weird season offensively, but that's kind of like you said. It's been three waves of the Chiefs' offense, and so I would call it you know, the, the turnover portion of the season. The Mahomes is actually playing badly portion of the season, and the they can't always get out of their own way, and we'll see if that changes. Um, we have a comment, by the way, I think uh, one of the matchups in this game that people are really looking at is the Chiefs running game, which is pretty efficient, even if they don't use it as much as other teams against the mm-hmm. Chargers run defense, which has been horrible this year and is last in the league by DVOA. CCX3 says, do we have numbers for the Chargers over the last few weeks? Not a real weakness anymore. And the Giants game was inflated by garbage time in the second half. The fact is that up until two weeks ago, that was still a real weakness for the Chargers. They played really well against Cincinnati. They played really well against the Giants in the first half. Then the run defense let down in the second half. But, yes, it was all garbage time in the second half. No question about that. But I don't know if two games or at least a game and a half convinced me this is no longer a problem for the Chargers. And and it's always garbage time against the Giants. Like, oh, we shut (laughs) them We shut the Giants running game down. Like, yeah, okay, great. You know, you did the Bengals. That's legit. That was a good game. There's the Bengals also. They flip a coin and, and you know they're two faced as to what, which team shows up that week. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it cured either. So the the Chiefs run game is an interesting one to watch because it can be kind of frustrating, which is predictable in an Andy Reid offense. Um, they're very different than they've been in previous years because the primary strength of two of their linemen, Orlando Brown and Trey Smith are excellent run blockers, but for a specific kind of thing, they're not big on some of these outside zones and stretch stuff that Andy Reid typically features a ton of. Now you want to watch them, you know, run power or duo all day, and they'll just, Creed Humphrey's been exceptional, Joe Tooney's been exceptional, and that interior line, my favorite play, and this is, I I understand it's not an efficient play, but I love to watch it, is when the Chiefs, you know, spread out with four receivers, one running back, force the defense to spread out. They offer a light box, which, of course, they will. It's the mm. smart play. And then they just run it straight ahead and say, our interior line can beat your defensive tackles and climb to the linebacker, because they do every time. I'm I'm convinced they could run the ball for seven yards a carry doing it, but Andy won't do it. Nope. And it's hurting me. <laughs> the numbers do show the Chiefs are best running up the middle, and the Chargers are pretty weak against runs up the middle. So, and with with Clyde Edwards-Alaire back, they they do tend to go to him a little more often than they do than Daryl Williams, who is a is a very good receiving back. He he doesn't quite have both the explosion and the vision to exploit things in the middle of the line. The stuff that they're really good at is exactly what Clyde Edwards-Alaire excelled at at LSU, mm-hmm. and. They, they've been pushing towards it a little more and a little more and a little more each week. And so this might be the one where you see Edwards Alaire get the ball until they show they can stop it. But that's just never been Andy's MO, even when they're running the ball extremely well. They 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 could be running the ball for eight yards a pop over and over, and then he'll do some, you know, reverse to Hardman or something. I, I he's he's definitely more I do my thing that I think yep. works rather yep. than I change it up every week to battle your weakness. Right, and he would get those offensive linemen who excelled at straight ahead blocking in Philly, where you would look and say this line could just destroy the <laughs> other line, and and when it's Mahomes, you're like, okay, so you're going to keep throwing, and I think when you had 04 McNabb, okay, we're going to keep throwing, but then it was like 09 McNabb, and it's like, no, nah, no, nah, Westbrook just gained eight yards up the middle, no, nah, it's time to throw the ball three straight times. It, it's a it's a little, you know, we're not talk about you know balance or anything like that, but it's like a little imbalanced in the favor of you can make things easier for yourself by running the ball a little bit more. Absolutely. Which is something I never thought I'd say in 2021. <laughs> right. I wrote a whole article. I, I 
think the Chiefs need to run the ball more because <laughs> you see how teams are playing them. Mm-hmm. And when when you have all these things coming together in terms of an exceptional run blocking offensive line, a running back that does things particularly well, and the way defenses are playing you, you might as well just punish them. One thing they have done different schematically, they have shifted to more of that, that the, the up-the-middle power-based stuff. And they've also been targeting the running backs more in recent weeks out of the backfield in ways that are meant to exploit, you know, not just cover two, but, you know, deep safety and conservative looks as well. So I'd expect to see more of that. Um, and and it's just that you never know what you're going to get with the Chiefs offense this year unless they're playing the Raiders. Then you know what you're going to get, and it's awesome. But Yeah. I do think there is something to the idea that the Raiders may be a uniquely bad matchup. Uh, I mean, <laughs> uniquely good matchup, bad for the Raiders, right. good for the Chiefs. That that. So it makes me wonder, have they come back as much as we think they've come back? Or is it just that Gus Bradley's defense, you know, because of the fact that they like to play cover three, because Jonathan Abram is so weak, uh, because they have depth issues at cornerback, there, there are a lot of reasons to believe that the Raiders are just a uniquely good matchup for the Chiefs. Um, all right, we want to let you get back to your regular life. So let's just finish by talking about who we pick in this game. The line is Chiefs minus three. Brian, I will let you go first. Let's move down. It was plus four. It was, it was Chiefs minus four earlier. But because there are injuries on every single level of the Chiefs defense, the players missing time, that leads me to want to take the points in this one, especially with Eckler uh, potentially playing. I don't know. We don't know how healthy he'll be, but he's going to give it a go. Uh, I'm, I do think the Chiefs will come out on top of this one, but there's enough question marks for me on that Chiefs defense that I, I, I like getting the points in this one. I am leaning towards the Chargers, especially getting three and a half, and that's where it's at right now. And I know you're going to talk about the over uh, in a moment, uh, Aaron. You can parlay Chargers three and a half and the over at plus 255, and I may be going that way tonight. That's interesting. I uh, did pick for the ESPN Best Bets column. I picked the over. It was 51 and a half. I guess it's now at 52. It's not fit. Yeah, fifty-two and a half. Based on the idea that that as much as we look at recent weeks, like the larger time period is still the more accurate, like look at what teams are likely to do going forward. And in the larger time period, the Chiefs are still better on offense than they are on defense, and the Chargers are definitely better on offense than they are on defense. So I I like the idea that this game will go over the total, and I will be rooting for offense. If I had to pick against the spread, I think I would go with the Chiefs. Despite the injuries, I do feel like that they they just played really well the last four or five weeks. And and I kind of just like them, but but it's a really close one. It's a really close one. Those injuries are scary. And the the unavailabilities are scary. Yeah, so is the Slater missing Slater's. Not good yeah. either. It's true, right? And I, I'm contractually obligated to take the Chiefs, so yeah. I, I think that surprises no one. I, I do think that uh, you know, given it, it, previous matchups, don't necessarily tell us what's going to happen because teams change so much. But in terms of styles making fights, it helps a little. And so I, I do think the fact that the Chiefs moved the ball as well as they did in the last matchup tells me that they've got a chance of doing that. They just got to stay out of their own way and not turn the ball over four times to put up points. And I think Herbert and the Chargers in response can put up points. Might see a shootout. That'd be kind of fun. Yeah, well, I'm hoping because then I would be right. (laughs) Uh, So Seth Kaiser, again, want to thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. You can find his writing. Uh, First of all, make sure you follow him on Twitter for really good Chiefs information, and uh, The Athletic Kansas City is where you will find his writing. Thank you so much for joining us, Seth. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Take care. All right. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the slate from this weekend, starting with Saturday night, which is New England at Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Colts make the playoffs in 88% of the simulations with a win, 51% with a loss. The Patriots, because DVOA loves them with such a ridiculous passion, make the playoffs 100% of the time with the win and 99% of the time with the loss. They make the the, the playoffs 117% of the time (laughs) with a win. 
I will be really honest. By the way, just about the Chargers, Patrick Seeley says, do the Chargers have a good backup for Rashawn Slater? The answer is no. His name is Trey Pipkins, and he is not good. Is the reason I Rashawn Slater in the first place. <laughs> I, will, I will be really honest about this as a Patriots fan. This is the game that scares me, not next week against the Bills. This is, I think, the most likely loss left on the Patriots' schedule. And uh, Jonathan Taylor and the Colts run blocking scares me a lot in this game, as does the fact that the Colts are better against the run than against the pass. And will Belichick be, be the Belichick of the past where you always attack the opponent's weakness, in which case he would have Mac Jones throw a lot? Or will he be the Belichick of the last two years, in which case it's I want to play old school football and run the ball, and that's what we're going to do, in which case he's running into the teeth of the Colts' defensive strength. Right. It's a tough call. It's a tough call. I mean, I, th- I think – I don't th- – it's not that – Matt Jones has been, go- has been very good this season for what he's been able to do. He's been able to run the offense very well. I don't think Belichick has the same trust in him as he did, you know, obviously four or five years ago with, with the whole situation. So I think I think he's going to challenge DeForest Buckner and the rest of that interior line. I think he's going to pound it down the middle and, and see what happens. Right. And I'm not sure that's a great strategy. I, I'm surprised you're worried about this game because it feels like the Browns game again. Like, oh, here comes the running and defense team that's going to match running for defense, running for defense. Yeah, I, I'm more worried about the Colts' run defense than I was about the Browns' run defense. I mean, you know, the Browns have a great running game and the Colts have a great running game, and in that way it's similar. But from a defensive point of view, I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about the Colts than I was about the Browns. Right. Well, a couple – one uh, split that I noticed, Colts are, I believe, number one in open field yards. Yes, and they get a break. Jonathan Taylor breaks long-ass break, run. Right, which is not surprising at all. The Patriots are pretty low on defense in that. They've allowed a lot of breakaways. I, I remember the one against the Titans. Certainly, that's one that sticks out in my mind. A couple of them, I think, by the Titans, yeah. Right. So, so you know, one thing that the Colts can do to diversify their offense, in addition to trying to get their passing game going, which might be tricky, is to see if they can generate more of those splash running plays. That's a problem. But I think the real key and the question I want to see is I want to see what Mac Jones does playing from behind. I actually ran the numbers on this because I was anticipating oh, when I sh- when I do the Mac Jones numbers playing from behind. First of all, he's only going to have taken thrown thirty balls, and they're going to be terrible. He played from behind a lot in the first half of the year, and he was pretty darn good at it. It wasn't a disaster. He wasn't as good as he is playing with a lead. No one is, but it wasn't like he fell apart in the Cowboys game. He was behind most of that Buccaneers game. Most of that they, they were close. Those were both close games. Still need to see more of it. I still want to see the the uh, Colts find a way to get a lead and to take, like you guys said, Belichick out of that game where it's like, oh, I can play slobber knocker for four quarters and I don't have to put Jones in a bad situation. I will say the Colts defense, like I said, the, I feel like the pa- Patriots need to throw on them. They are 28th against wide receiver one, which mm-hmm. I guess would be Aguilar, 25th against tight ends, mm-hmm. and 30th against running backs as receivers. Wow. Yeah, I think um, their best their best their best corner is their slot corner. I think well, it can no, JC Jackson goes wherever the best receiver is. He can play oh, slot was, and outside. I was backwards. I was thinking of the Colts. Sorry. Oh yes, the Colts' best corner is their slot corner. No question yes. about it. Uh, what's his name? Moore. Kenny Moore. Moore. Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore. Um, Patrick Seeley says with a game plan, offense, and defense, every game is different. I mean, that's that's the hope of Patriots fans because that's classic Belichick. Classic Belichick is. Every game is different. Yes. And this year it seems like he's much more about run, run, run. Although against the Bucks, Patrick is right when he says they didn't run much against the Tampa Bay. Against that against Vita Vea, they passed. Yeah. So and what we've seen in the last month has been blowout victories. You're just going to keep running against the Falcons. You're going to keep running against the Jets. Most of what they've seen. And and then the Monday night game, which was an odd, just a you know, a white elephant. Yeah. The Monday night game was – we all said the weather is crazy. We're not going to learn anything from this. And then the game happened, and then everybody acted like we learned a lot from this. I think, <laughs> right. I think it definitely was a like Bill Belichick is a good coach who can adapt to the, to the weather. Mm-hmm. It was a good lesson from that game. Right. But about the actual Patriots players, I don't think we really learned much. No. I think we learned a lot about the Bills and sort of their preparedness for this type of situation. And I think we learned a little more about that last week, frankly. 
Um, Todd Singer says the Colts would prefer a playoff weather game in Kansas City against a home game in the Dome. Discuss. I don't think they prefer it, but I think they are built like of the teams that would not want to play in the snow. I think the Colts would be okay with that. I, th- I mean, I think I, I don't think you pass up the home game no matter what the situation is. But mm-hmm. I think of, of all the uh, all of the wild card contending teams, they'd probably be the happiest to go. And yeah, that's going to be cold. We're going to slam John the Taylor into you and see what you do. <laughs> I think the Browns wouldn't mind that too. The, the way the AFC stacks up right now, there's nobody out there just throwing the ball lights out like that we're so used to. And that's what you guys were talking about earlier on. It's like everybody sort of fell down along the way, and then they let Mahomes and Belichick get back. So that's yeah. if if the Colts win this game, no playoff p- uh, position will be clinched in the AFC this week. That's how tight and close everything is, is oh. there. Both of the, so with three weeks to go, all seven slots will still be open. That's never yeah, happened. It's, it's really funny. The playoff clinching this week is Titans win, Colts loss, clinches for the Titans. And then this ridiculous list of things that have to happen, yeah. plus Patriots win. Yeah, Patriots yeah. win, and also the Jets have to beat the Dolphins. That that, that, that oh. all scenarios include that. So I would not expect the Patriots to get in this week, no matter what happens in this game. Useful was first says Carson Wentz in bad weather. I don't think the Colts would want that. I was being nice and not saying anything, but thank you. You 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 put it out there for us. Useful. Thank you. So what do you guys think? The line on this is actually Colts by two. It started out with the Patriots favored, and it has switched during the week to Colts by two. And knock on wood, this is a game that has not been affected by COVID yes. yet. Yes. Colts by two? Yeah, I'm, I'm, taking, I'm, taking, I'm taking the Patriots on the points at that point. Yes. Yes, and I'm running to the bank with it. I might just take it right now here. Hold on. Yeah, as much as I'm scared that this is the loss for the Patriots, I guess I would have to pick the Patriots at this point, yeah. If you're getting points, yeah. Get it, get it, do it. Even though it's only two points, right? It's not three, but. The completions over under for Mac Jones is 20.5. I like the over. I think I like the over, too. I think they're going to throw the ball more. I think it went down because of sort of the meme from Monday night. Uh, let's talk about Sunday, and we'll start with Washington at Philadelphia. Believe it or not, this is the most important game of the week for playoff odds because of that big mishmash around the sixth and seventh uh, seeds in the NFC. Washington makes the playoffs 39% of the time if they win, 8% if they lose. The Eagles make it 48% of the time if they win, 11% if they lose. So this is not a must-win game, but this is pretty close to a must-win game for these teams. And a little bit of COVID going around, right, Brian? Just just a tad. Uh, the Washington currently has 21 players on their COVID list, including six starters and 12 players in the defense. Uh, no Kendall Fuller, no Cam Sims, no Cam Curl. No Unitas, you could just go on. Like only half the team is going to be able to show up to this one. I believe they're down to their fifth string center. Ben oh Scherf is taking some emergency like practice snaps during practice. There's been talk that 240 pound long snapper Cameron Cheeseman might need to play on the offensive line some this week. Jeez, man. Yeah, this is what Washington is not in a good good place right now. That's why you draft a long snapper, folks. Yeah. You draft a long snapper rather than signing an undrafted free agent so you have someone good enough that if everybody has COVID, they can actually play <laughs> offensive line. You also have Terry McLaurin in concussion protocol. You also have Tyler Heineke coming off an injury. He's expected to play, um, but he is limited. His mobility might be limited. This is a catastrophic situation for Washington. It looked before the COVID, like they got out of last week uh, in decent shape because Heineke and McLaurin had to leave, and it was like, oh, it wasn't that serious. Now it's just, whoosh, it's just disastrous. So it's like I can run a bunch of stats past you, and I went and looked up a bunch of stats on this game and wrote stuff down. But it's hard to know what the really happens in this game. Just to play with a couple of interesting stats, looking at ESPN's splits between blitz and not blitz. Washington blitzes a lot. Mm-hmm. Jalen Hurts does not get blitzed much and has an 83 QBR against the blitz huh. compared to 37 other ones. And scrambling's mixed into that then, right? Yeah, scrambling is mixed into that. Okay. Um, 
Washington struggles generally against wide receivers, and they're 29th against deep passes, and that's with everybody's healthy. <laughs> um, the Eagles struggle against wide receiver ones and tight ends, but their starting tight end is gone for mm -hmm. Washington, and wide receiver one is in concussion protocol. Right. So, I mean, this is – this is this this and the Cleveland Vegas game on Saturday are the gigantic COVID games of the week. Right, and as useful points out, Hertz, they've been splitting reps in in uh, you know during the uh, during the week with between Hertz and Minshew. And you talk about the blitzing and everything like that. The Eagles, of course, have the established the screen offense where they try to build everything around screen passes. So I don't know what we're going to see there. But it's it's hard to it's hard to look at Washington and say, oh, we have to take this team seriously as a threat with this many injuries now, unavailabilities now. Washington is uh, it's Philadelphia right now. It's gone up to nine and a half. Oof. Right now, it's Philadelphia by nine and a half. I am going to take Washington because I, I think this is the kind of situation where weird covers happen. Hundred percent. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, without, without knowing actually who's going to be on the field for Washington, I can't give Philly nearly 10 points. You yeah, know and I'm, without knowing who's going to be quarterback for Philly, even yeah. though Minshew is likely one of the top backups in the league. Right. No, this this smacks of being – and especially Eagles offense settles for a lot of field goals. Yes. Because they, they, they can run the ball, run the ball. Uh, everyone's afraid of the, the theoretical deep pass, and then they don't have a, a goal line. So this could be a game where it's like, oh yeah, we we smothered them, but the final score was you know twenty two to six, or twenty two to nine, or whatever. And you, well, both times they covered, but I'm still, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm going for. Uh, Cincinnati at Denver, four p.m. game. Oh boy. The rest of the games we're going to talk about are the four p.m. games. Uh, Bengals make the playoffs fifty percent of the time with a win, seventeen percent with a loss. Broncos. 35% of the time with a win, 7% with a loss. This is an interesting one because both teams, the DVOA is very different from conventional stats. Denver is 20th in points and second in points allowed, but DVOA is switched. They're better on offense. Mm -hmm. Cincinnati is 7th in points and 17th in points allowed, but the DVOA is switched and has them better on defense. Right. And a big reason why is Denver – games do not include a lot of drives they're very low in drives and mm -hmm. cincinnati games do include a lot of drives on both <laughs> offense and defense so of course cincinnati gives up more points and scores more points because there's more drives in their game that's just really interesting the other interesting stat i'm going to pull out about this game the uh denver is number one against passes to the right side of the field hmm. offensive right side of the field that's patrick Sertain's side now and Cincinnati is number six on passes to the left. That's Awuzie's side. So we're going to see a couple of one-sided offenses. So, yeah, it may, we may see a couple of, you know, you may want to stay away from Sertain and stay away from Awuzie and go after the other cornerbacks for these teams. Right. Watching both of these offenses is an exercise in frustration for very different reasons. Mm -hmm. I was shocked to find that the Bengals are only 22nd in various variants on offense because I figured they'd be 32nd <laughs> and not 33rd somehow. Mm -hmm. A lot of people said, oh, they lost to the 49ers only because they muffed those two punts. I think they lost to the 49ers because they just chose not to throw to Jamar Chase 500 times. He was destroying Ambry Thomas, and he got two touchdowns on his eight targets. He could have had three or four. I mean, he was just blowing things up all the time, and the Bengals just – Seems like they chose not to go that way quite frequently. It's like, I don't. I don't understand. Thomas also got like two or three hands of the face penalties and things like that. It he, was had clear that he had no. He had no hope out there. But yeah, that is the mystery of the Bengals. One of the reasons why the Bengals aren't that low. Most of the low variants, the really variant teams, yeah. they got better over the year, or they a quarterback got injured. Like the Saints, I'm sure, right. very high in, in variance, et cetera. The Bengals, it's just series to series, quarter to quarter variance. Yeah, the Bengals are weird. Uh, team uh, definitely uh, have been up and down this year. I don't know why our numbers don't have them as high as other numbers. Even other advanced stats like the Bengals more than DVOA likes the Bengals, in particular like Joe Burrow more than our stats like Joe Burrow. I mean, I think he's having a, a, a fine enough uh, uh, right. season. I think Bridgewater is having a fine enough season. This, this feels like a pretty even game. Yeah. 
between two teams that are at the, you know, the the edge of the AFC playoff race. Again, this one, like the Philly-Washington game, it's not a must-win, but it's pretty close to a must-win. Nothing in the AFC is a must-win, and we talked about that. By the way, Joey sucks. You have to watch the fourth quarter of the uh, 49ers that game there before you go with Jamar Choke. He was getting one-handed catches when down by two scores and down by one score, tiptoeing the back of the end zone like this. We, we all saw the interceptions he kind of coughed up along the way in the drop passes. I don't I don't think he's Jamar Choke, uh, Choke Joe. Broncos are 25th against wide receiver one in DVOA. And uh, so keep if you keep Chase away from Sertain, you probably mm-hmm. can have a big day with him. Right. If they choose to throw to him. <laughs> Patrick Seeley says Burrow gets sacked too much to be elite. Well, some of that is their offensive line. They are 31st in the league in ESPN's pass block win rate. Yeah. He yeah. moves around the pocket pretty well. And yeah. also remember, he gets very little max protect. They spread it out so often there. So, yeah. so it's like get out there and like find the read and move. So he does get sacked a lot, but he's pretty to watch. He is pretty to watch. So Den- Denver is currently favored. This is another one that switched during the week. It opened with Cincinnati as the favorite. Now it is Denver by two and a half. Ooh. I, ugh, I don't, I don't, I don't touch, I don't touch Bengals games anymore. I just, but if you, I, I'll, I'll take the Bengals over the Broncos just for the sake of content creation, but I'm not touching this game. I feel like with the inconsistency and the fact that these teams are pretty even, I would take the Bengals because they get the points. If it was the Broncos getting the points, I'd take the Broncos. I'll, I'll be contrary, and I'll take the Broncos minus one and a half then because we don't. We, the Bengals are, are a different team on every given play, and I think the Broncos are going to be a slightly more consistent team, and that might help out in this one. But I'm just, I'm just going to make the, the pick to be contrary and give us some kind of uh, disagreement here. All right. Atlanta at San Francisco. So the DVOA conversation about this one will not be long, but this is actually a fairly important game for the playoffs, Mm -hmm. especially for the 49ers. The Falcons make the playoffs 16% of Sims if they win, 1% if they lose. But the 49ers make the playoffs 90% of Sims where they win, 47% where they lose. Mm -hmm. Of course, DVOA, DVOA has San Francisco as a top 10 team, and has Atlanta as the last place team, even though they're six and seven. I believe I went back and checked this. There, it's the first time there's ever been a six win or more team dead last in DVOA. Huh. The previous record was five. So Atlanta is doing some kind of magic here to actually keep winning the game, despite the fact that they aren't any good, really. <laughs> uh, I, 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 yeah, I started splitting two things, trying to find something they've done better. Over the last three weeks, they have their rushing DBA is up to negative 0.1%. So that's 12 from the league. Now, Mike Davis has had a couple good games in a row to go along with Cordell Patterson. Uh, they were dead last the first 10 games, even below Houston, who is currently setting all kinds of records. Every every win is against a team worse than them or equally in the bottom half. So the one thing they're doing is they're not coughing up the kind of losses they were coughing up last year where they'd pace another bad team and still lose. So their, their, their ability is, and part of that's Ryan's experience. I think part of it is gumption. Corderell, obviously they're just nosing ahead of every Jaguars, every Panthers. And it might be, they're never in disarray. They're facing these teams that are in disarray. Everywhere. And the Panthers were in disarray this week and they're not, they're just plugging along. And so they get those wins and then they get blown out by 24 when it, even a decent team comes along. I, it feels like the 49ers are not a blowout team. No. I feel like this is this one maybe the 49ers are going to win, yeah. but I think it's going to be by like two touchdowns, not by like four or five. Yeah, they're not, they're not going to win 45 to nothing or something like that, which what the DVA might suggest some kind of huge blowout. But yeah. no. They're more likely to they'll finally get that drive that lasts a full quarter and then Kyle Shannon can retire in happiness. I will say, <laughs> looking up some stats on this game, the 49ers are second in the league against tight ends. Okay. So, so shut down, shut down, shut down Kyle Pitts. And that's Russell Gage show. And Atlanta is 30th against short passes. Yeah. So they're and they're very bad against wide receivers. They are above average on yak yak. Atlanta's defense is, is better than average on preventing yak. And it, uh, but they, I think they're above average against tight ends, too. So maybe they, George Kittle won't get over 150 yards for the third straight week. But this they, might be a they, uh, game. Yeah, they're they're really weak against wide receivers and 
and short passes, and it seems like anything San Francisco wants to do, they're pretty weak. And they also have no pass rush. Yeah. No. And the way you beat the Niners is you attack the cornerbacks, and they have no receivers. So, I mean, I, I, I don't see any possible path for, like, a crazy upset kind of thing. I, I just don't see it. Uh, the line is uh, it, San Francisco minus nine. And this was my pick of the week. Even though I don't see a total blowout, I feel like San Francisco should win handily. We're down to 9.5 on DraftKings. And I keep saying, yeah, this is going to be an eight-point game. This is going to be a touchdown game. However, I have a rule in life, never, ever, 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 ever pick the Falcons. So I'll go with you on the 49ers. Yeah, I'll say uh, 49ers 28, Falcons 3. So I'll take take the Niners by (laughs) now. Oh, gosh. All right. Last game we want to talk about is the game that's on in most of the country at 4 p.m., which is Green Bay at Baltimore. Uh, The Packers uh, in our simulations are 99.99% in the playoffs either way, whether they win or lose. Uh, Ravens make the playoffs 86% of the time when they win, 53% of the time when they lose. So – Big news out of Green Bay because I was looking at the one obvious weakness that they demonstrated on a Sunday night, which is that they can't cover a punt or a kickoff, and they're facing the Ravens who do all of those things very well, is there's plans to move some of the starters over into special teams that we're going to see. And they had to do that during the game. We're going to see Rizul Douglas potentially on special teams. We're going to see Alan Lazard and some of the other players there. And that should quell the emergency that almost led to a weird little upset on Sunday night. Yeah, this um, special teams would seem like the main way that Green Bay would lose to Baltimore because right. Green Bay is just clearly better this year. Um, they uh, int- one, one interesting thing, the Ravens face more blitzes than any other offense, uh, but the Packers are 28th in blitz rate. So that's mm-hmm. an interesting question is will they blitz more assuming Lamar Jackson plays, which we don't know. We have yeah. absolutely no – it's really up in the air – is it going to be Lamar Jackson or is it going to be Tyler Huntley? And I know that Huntley has played well, played well last week. The fact is you still go with, there's still going to be an expected major drop-off from Lamar Jackson to an undrafted free agent in his second year. Yes. And they went out and they got Josh Johnson. Uh, Jets legend from earlier in the season, Josh Johnson, is now the emergency quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens. Josh Johnson has been on every team in the NFL or close to it at this point. And and some of the UFL and some of the XFL. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The Ravens' D is fourth against the run Mm. and 26th against the pass. Perfect. Do you think that Aaron Rodgers can find the weaknesses? (laughs) You mean a team with no cornerbacks? Yeah. I think he's going to rake. In this I mean, game. Jimmy Smith is, can still play. Yeah. Jimmy Smith, right? He can back. Still play. He's he's playing, I think. But yeah, other other cornerbacks are have problems. Right. Right. No, um, it's it, it's this is going to be rough. I, I this is going to be a rough watch, and I'm I, I was trying to stack things up for the Ravens, and I can't find it, frankly. I mean. Uh, it, if, 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 Lamar, if Lamar plays, you can always say that, oh, well, he's going to have one of his, you know, sometimes he just takes over and runs for 150 yards. Mm-hmm. And the Packers have had some trouble with that historically, although not so yes. much this year with Devonta Campbell in. But, I mean, you're, you're, you're really grasping at straws, I think, at that point. Yeah, I, 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 um, I feel pretty strongly about the Packers in this one, especially if Huntley plays. You just can't expect a lot out of Huntley. The line is currently Green Bay by five and a half. Take it. Take it yeah. and run. Take it and run. It's hard. I think that line is pretty even if Jackson plays, but I would definitely go Green Bay with Huntley. And so the chance, just the chance that Huntley would play means that it's a good bet, I think, to go Green Bay minus five and a half. I agree. I hate seeing the Ravens like this because I enjoyed them. You know, over the last couple of years, and you know, it was sort of like my second team. I'd go down there and cover them a couple of times in the off season, and to see what this has become. Even when Jackson's healthy, and they're getting, he's getting blitzed constantly, and the running game is not what it used to be, and he seems to be making a lot of mistakes. And the offensive line stinks. It's just hard watch, and it used to be a delight to watch whether they won or lost. And their defense also. Their defense is, you know, throughout the history of DVOA. Right, I always talk about defense is less consistent than offense, but it's remarkable how consistently good 
the Baltimore and Pittsburgh defenses have been, not this year. Right, right, right. No. It's That's not. It. The Baltimore defense has not been good. All right. want to thank everybody for watching the show. Thank you, whether you're watching on Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the show so you know whenever we're doing shows. Or make sure you just come watch us at 1 o'clock Eastern every day. That's when we're here. Uh, thank you to everyone listening after the fact on the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And uh, thank you to everybody who commented. We had a great discussion going on during yep. the show today. So please, you know, if you're listening after the fact, you want to be listening to us live because then you can participate in a really good discussion. Tomorrow, Scott Spratt will be doing your DFS preview with Matthew Friedman from FTN Fantasy. Cool. So check that out tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then I will be back on Monday to review week 15 with Ian O'Connor. Have a great night, everybody. Enjoy tonight's fabulous game. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Scott at 1 p.m. Eastern. So long.